The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Starving for Attention. <laughs> Uh, Jasmine blazes across me, and she just put on this ridiculous emerald green fishing cap yeah. uh, that someone sent me in the mail that I've never really worn, but we wore it. You've been trying to give it away. This I've trip. been really trying to give it away. We're here in uh, Hawaii, on the, in the islands of Hawaii, yes. uh, right now from Kauai or Kauai. Depends, yeah. If you live in California, Southern California, you call it Kauai. Yeah, or probably anywhere in the or United Kauai. States. If, if you live out Kauai. here, but we're on the North yeah. Shore. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode this week. We are calling it <laughs> From the Freezer. Bringing it yes. out of the freezer, out of the vault. That basically means that uh, we found no one to talk to us. We're doing a heat and serve right now. We're doing a reheat, re- <laughs> <laughs> reheat and serve. But uh, we did uh, pull out one of the better ones. We actually flipped a coin just a couple minutes ago yeah. uh, to see what episode is going to be in front of you. We're not going to reveal it. Just yeah. yet, okay. but you might have seen the title right already, so yeah. you know. Okay, so we should reveal it. <laughs> yeah, probably, it's Michael Voltaggio. Yeah, Michael Voltaggio. Uh, you know the cool dude. He's got all the amazing ink. He's a Los Angeles chef. He's kind of one of those. He's just like a really super super cool dude. Yeah. Um, and tying it all together, we're here in Hawaii. I, one of the last times we saw Michael was in Hawaii. That's right. Remember, doing it was like Super Bowl last pool. year. Yeah, doing cannibals. Yeah, it was like two years ago. Two years, yeah, at or least. probably uh, like renting out a cabana. That wasn't the last time we saw Michael Voltaggio. No, one of one the of, last right. times okay. we saw him. But Got we have it. spent some time with Michael Voltaggio and yeah. for the James Beard Foundation on Maui. Yeah, that's and right. he was just like a baller, right? Like he was yeah. like LA I saw, Dodgers actually, you know hat. What? This is funny because yeah. I saw uh, in- I ran across his Instagram page the other day, and he had a four piece luau so suit. Did, did you I see saw that? that too. Were you it, like super jelly of it? Did I was super it like, w- where was he going to a luau? Is he on Hawaii? I don't think he was. I think he was just going so. to like a themed party, or and he was like blending into like flowery pictures on the wall. Yeah. Uh, I think he has an affinity for Hawaii as well. I think so. I think he was out here even before that Instagram post I saw on I'm social. Say, that he it's was hard around. not to have an affinity for Hawaii. It is. Um, Although you try. <laughs> really? Why do you say that? I don't know. I feel like you're not fully on board with it. I, that's shockingly to me. <laughs> like I'm not fully on board with like doing the uh, trek out to the sandy beach to just sit there for like four or five hours. And like, you know, once I've snorkeled a little bit and seen the, what's the name of the fish? The humu humu, that one. Yeah. But how do you say it officially? Uh, humu humu nuku nuku upua'a. Yes, the humu humu nuku nuku apua ah ah ah. I think I might have thrown an extra. Ah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see a couple shiny fish, and then like beaches are fun. But I'm more of a, you know what I am. I'm more of a, um, a tide pooling guy. Oh, I'm yeah. more of a like foresty guy. So that's why okay. I really do appreciate Kauai because you get a little bit of both worlds. So like I don't mind a little snorkeling, a little beach time, mm. maybe it's a little time out in a boat or something like that. Mm. Um, but you know why I really love Hawaii. Which is bringing it back to perhaps most of our podcasts. Mixed it's, plate? It's the mixed plate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or food in general. Okay. Yeah. So like this is something actually I've been uh, thinking about. We, were, we had a list of um, Hawaiian chefs to bring on and mm-hmm. literally one was on a wedding. Sheldon Simeon was too busy, brother. He's in no, Maui. He's on we were on the island big island too, yeah. and Kauai. 
uh, and we just couldn't really connect with anyone. But the food is so delicious here. Yeah. And uh, I've done a little bit of research. It would have been great to have sort of like, obviously, a local sort of talk about it. Right. But I love the fact that they're, you know, it's, it's, it's all of these Asian influences mm. and Portugal. Right. <laughs> Which sure. is something that I just... Uh, want to do a little bit more in depth. You know, Simon Majumdar would be great to talk about. Oh, I bet, yeah. You know, I think it was a Portuguese fisherman. A lot of people came over for the sugar trade yeah. uh, and for a lot of sort of the industrialization of some of the farming, whether it was sugar or pineapples, et cetera. Um, and the food is this like, you know, mashup mm-hmm. of like uh, indigenous sort of original Hawaiian food from what right. I understand. And then it's, you know, Chinese and Japanese and Korean and Philippines and the Portuguese uh, and it creates some of the most amazing food you've ever had. Yeah. Um, even in some of the um, least assuming places. Yes, right? definitely. Well, like, like today. Right? Like Whaler's General Market or <laughs> the 7-Eleven well, maybe like, you've heard uh, of the, the mainland. The convenience stores, you can, you can get like a bowl of poke. Like that's amazing. And it's good. It's not, I, you know, as you're probably... I did. I tossed up a picture yesterday on the stories where we're in literally like a convenience store gas yeah, station yeah. and there's like seven pokes laid yeah, out. Right. Um, and they're all... Like delicious. St- right. Stunningly fresh. Yeah. Um, and just like mixed that morning. Uh, but then you can just go over to like where you would in a normal like 7-Eleven grab like a hot dog and some nachos. Right. Here you can grab like masubi and a hand roll right. and a bao bun. Um, we didn't and, grab all that. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's exactly what <laughs> that we had for lunch yesterday. Lunch. Yeah. Um, also, like I said, okay, so you get all this great food. We has, got all of that food from like a convenience store. Then we right. went on a big hike because I'm a little bit more of like, I like hiking. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I know yeah. I, it doesn't seem cool, but like, I really love hiking, getting what? up there out in the woods. Cool. And uh, I wiped out yesterday, Jasmine. Oh, man. I'm going to just reveal it right now. We oh, went. Oh, man, yeah. And like, uh, the trail was called what? Sleeping Giant? It was, it was one of the Sleeping Giant trails. One yeah. of the Sleeping no Giant trails. trails. Yeah. And uh, the giant took me down. They saw. Totally. The ah, howley ah, coming ah. down the path, yeah. and it had. It's obviously it rains here, which um, I believe Kauai, if this is correct, has like the second rainiest spot on the planet okay. outside of somewhere in near India or in India, I believe. Okay. Right? I think I've done that research. Sure. So like it gets really, really like tropical rainforest, uh, and it was super slippery. I was. We were not prepared to really go on any deep hikes. Well, we were all in like. You know, I mean, we were prepared shoes. for like a, a, you know, a lazy two mile, three mile hike, you know, exactly. Not a ton of vertical incline, et cetera. It we ended up being prepared for like Jurassic mud. Exactly. And it ended up being the scene from Forrest Gump where him and Bubba are out there and Forrest <laughs> is like, we saw all types of rain. There was sideways rain, rain falling straight down. Sometimes we were up to our neck in rain. And uh, yeah, was, I went down. There was one part where all of our shoes were stuck in mud. And then I looked up and there was just maybe 150 mosquitoes. Oh, my legs. This is, we're really painting a great picture <laughs> to come out here. Uh, but it was kind of a fun family adventure. And then, of it course, was. everyone else is slipping around. I would consider myself mo- one of the most sure-footed individuals in the party at the moment, <laughs> being like, just maybe. because I'm the dad. Maybe. But I'm also carrying the backpack. And I slipped. And my, I had been slipping you were before slipping. I, I could went hear down. You. I could hear you behind me. Right. And like, I was slip, slip, slip. I had the yeah. wrong shoes on. Uh, and right before I went down, my brain was just like, you're going down. <laughs> <laughs> Did it hit the sirens? And I fell. And uh, of course, I also decided I was going to wear um, a white T-shirt <laughs> and a white backpack. My Avengers backpack, which is sad, like just filled okay. with mud. But I've never received so much love from the family. 
Oh yeah, the kids were really worried. The kid, no, you weren't. It I think like when I think uh, kids don't see their parents like fall often. Right, they've never gone snowboarding with you. So. Oh my gosh, you're just like really like just blasting on blast. Um, but I felt pretty it's hard. Shocking. It wasn't because like you know, they figured you're, oh you're like God, infallible, Dad, you right? Fell. They're like, oh no, uh, it oh wasn't that God, bad. I got okay? up. Uh, wasn't um, you know I got a little muddy. That's all it was. And it's a good story that they're gonna have. Oh wait, actually, Jasmine, there's something. Um, that I wanted to bring up. I got a few questions that have really, really been bugging me. Okay. Um, why can you park a car itself these days, but we have to drive across town to take a test drive if we want to try out a new car? Ugh. Why can we get approved for a mortgage in lightning speed, but buying a new car takes an entire day? How can an at-home test service tell my entire ancestry, including that I'm 43.6% British? By the way, if you've been listening to all that of this... my percentage. Oh, it's mine too. Uh, if you've been listening to this, you can also break down all my DNA for the past millennium, but I can't see the price of a new car until I purchase it. These are all important questions and the people at Hyundai have been coming up with the answers. That's why they're modernizing the car buying experience with a new shopper assurance program. The program's based on four pillars. One, transparent pricing for convenience. Knowing the price is always better than guessing the price, of course. Two, flexible test drives that come to you. Just find the Hyundai you love and they'll bring it to you. Three, streamlined purchase for efficiency. No more stacks of paper at the dealership. And four, a three-day worry-free exchange. Peace of mind after you buy a car. What more could you want? It's not just car buying made easier. It's a chance to feel confident, respected, in control, and at ease, all while making a great decision. This is exactly what I was not feeling before I fell down in the woods. And it's all been made possible with Hyundai Shopper Assurance. Visit HyundaiUSA.com slash Shopper Assurance for more information. That's HyundaiUSA.com slash Shopper Assurance. But the food has been amazing. The hike was pretty good. The beaches have been epic. Michael Voltaggio is uh, up next. Um, This was before Voltaggio did this um, chef cycle. Oh, yeah, right? That's right, right, This right. was uh, well before he uh, completed, I think, the 300-mile. Yeah, like two or yeah, three two, times at least, I think right? it's three days, 300 miles. No, but I um, mean, he's done it before. This oh, is yeah, his definitely. first time he's done it at yeah. least a And at least this last time he does it with his brother. Uh, if you're getting ready to listen to this episode again, it's Michael Voltaggio out of the freezer without Brian Voltaggio, which we still have to work out. Yeah. Um, we got to get both Voltaggio brothers on. Um, yeah. One of the most highly rated episodes that we've had. Yeah, you guys like this date. Um, So, and if you've just joined us as a listener, you haven't heard this one before. So, enjoy Michael Voltaggio. Okay, everyone, listen. The protein of the future is here, uh, and it's really small. It reproduces easily, and it's absolutely delicious. That's right, crickets. And farming urban crickets is recruiting now. Do you have a spare broom closet or possibly access to some rooftop space where you could house, let's say, fifty to 90,000 crickets? Uh, it's easy to set up and maintain, and Farming Urban Crickets wants to help you become a farmer, a cricket farmer. All the perks and none of the mess of regular farming. Well, a little mess, but mostly it's just cricket poop. You buy all the supplies, and they'll help you get on your way to cricket farming fame and fortune. And if you visit their website, www.whatthefuc.com, that's Farming Urban Crickets, now using the promo code hashtag starvingforpod, they'll throw in 10,000 cricket eggs 
I didn't even know crickets made eggs for free. Don't wait. Start your new career or side hustle now. Uh, and Chef Michael Voltaggio is here. Like we said, he was joining us. Well, Chef, what do you think about I, like the – I'm ready to start farming crickets. <laughs> exactly. That, that's okay, it. That's, 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 if that's the only reason I came here today, yeah, sign me up. I feel like – so we do these things where those are just ideas. That's uh, uh, one of Jasmine's ideas. It's a fake ad. Because she's but... sort of the – I don't want to be the bug person. You're the cupboard chef of <laughs> okay, the family. I'll like you're fermenting, she's fermenting everything. She's making all of her own bread. She's <laughs> far like she has praying mantises as pets. You had me at FUC though. I that was that's, yeah. that's it. That's kind of the that's kicker the right there. Yeah. But you know, so where are you on the modernist uh, stance of like the new protein. chefs cooking insects and insects as food? You know, I, I mean, I've been to Cambodia and I've been to places where they had to eat it because they needed protein out of necessity. They had to eat certain things. And so for me, it's like we don't – we're not necessarily there yet. I'm supporting it because I think it's necessary in case we need protein alternatives. But I still like to eat chicken. Yeah, me too. It kind of grosses me out. We were saying before it kind of grosses me gross, out. Yeah. There but, obviously you know. is this ethical sort of worldview of like it is the protein of the future. I would choose pea protein though. If I could, I don't. I mean, I don't know about the differences in. in what about what about cricket pee? <sighs> See, listen, we have we have crickets at home because we have praying. Because well, you feed praying mantises crickets, but you're not chomping down crickets with a nice and cold stink. beer from be Hopsy. Uh, you're not doing that every once in a while, are you? No. Um, but you know what? I think what chef, you know this. Like, so I've had to eat insects, you know, as I travel, as you have, I'm sure. Some of them, though, like there's flavor involved. Yeah, you know, I ate a tarantula once, and that oh, was probably the worst. Oh, and it was all crispy and crunchy, and you know, you're there and you're in the moment. And then, like, I ripped it open, and there was oh. eggs inside. Oh, so I'm like scared of spiders. So I look at this thing, and I'm like, I'm gonna get you back. I'm gonna eat you and your babies. And I just like, it's yeah. like eating your tarantula inhale- yeah. caviar. Not a good idea. Oh my gosh, not a good idea. Was it furry though? It was crunchy because it, like everything else that doesn't taste good, they just cover it in chili powder and lemon or lime right, or whatever. Right, and so yeah. that's what it tastes like until psychologically your brain tells you, I'm eating a spider. So I think crickets are kind of the same thing. Like I've done the ants at Noma and I've done the I've done all of that stuff. I'm not craving it. Yeah. No. I don't right. need to eat it again. It was good in the moment. Like the experience was good. Right. Well, that kind of, that kind of leads me into a really interesting topic. So you said you're not craving it. So um, you know what other people – what most people don't crave? They don't crave molecular gastronomy, right? Where, how do you feel about even the term? Because like, I'm going to say most people probably or some people refer to you as a molecular gastronomist. Sure. I mean for me, I think I've, I've definitely learned the techniques so that I could have a good understanding of what I liked and didn't like about it. And then I still employ a lot of the same techniques that I was using that I'll say were in style five years ago. I still use some of those things as part of my repertoire, but at the same time – um, I do think that people are getting back to just wanting delicious food too. So I think it's – if as an artist, I like to use that word as a chef because I still think some of us are that. It's fun to be able to take some of those mediums and apply them to your to your discipline. But at the same time, at the end of the day, you need to feed people food. But you never refer to your own cuisine as molecular gastronomy, right? Or, no. Or- I never refer to my own <laughs> cuisine, period. Like everyone's like, what kind of chef or what kind of restaurant are you? I'm like, I have no idea. Right. I just cook stuff. I cook delicious food. Yeah. But you also mentioned the whole – you went to the whole artist thing. And like you're, you're an artist. And you said not many people can. You're right. I mean we just had uh, breakfast at Destroyer. Jordan's an artist. Yeah. Um, in a lot more ways than just cooking. I mean, Jordan right. is yeah. an artist outside of just the cooking part of it too. Absolutely. But um, so you never called your food molecular gastronomy. You don't even know, but that's kind of weird coming from you that you, so you, you don't, ref- I mean, it's modernist. Yeah, or- I would say I, I apply modern technique to 
very classic discipline of cooking that I, I mean, I learned how to cook at the Greenbrier Hotel. Like how can, I mean, you can't get much more classic than that. Um, but working with guys like Jose Andres, like I never heard those terms used in his kitchens either. And so it was more about just adopting certain techniques to improve or change the food experience a little bit, but not define your style of food sure. by Do, it. Does it irritate you when you hear the term? Or if someone referred to you as a molecular gastronomist, does that bother you? Because it bothers me a little bit. Luckily, yeah. that term's kind of fading. It I is. Like. Well, because to me, I don't, it's like, like when you go to like a, a fried chicken place, you don't call him like a fryer. You know, you're a fryer <laughs> right, chef. You know, it's right, like you go there and eat fried chicken. Like they're not like you're a classic standard breading procedure. Yeah. Like right. it's, you know, and for me, it's like an SBP who at the end of the day, of who cares? Like just put it in your mouth and eat it. And if you need to define it or have some reason to explain it, then go start a blog somewhere and maybe somebody will read it. I yeah. Because I mean, I like hip hop. I think you like hip hop as well. Love. Um, and I feel like it, it reminds me of sort of like the difference between hip hop versus rap music. Yeah, for sure. Like hip hop is like a culture and rap, I feel like is just a name that someone put on that music genre but now it's all mixing together and people aren't necessarily hating on it you know they're not like and that's my point like with the term molecular gastronomy how about the fact that we're just using technology to like they're not calling these molecular phones like the technology is just getting better so that you can do more and there's more conveniences that come with that and there's shortcuts and things that make it easier to use this device that we carry around in our pocket but no one's trying to define it everyone's just appreciating it and using it it makes your experience better and it it just is an evolution and there and you know it, it reminds me of chefs who are like oh, i do rustic food. right right chefs it's like the rotary phone yeah like if you can use science and technology to make your food more delicious then that's what you're going to do they're not talking on a walkie-talkie though when they're cooking their rustic food <laughs> that's true <laughs> they they're not sending yeah. they're not sending messages in a bottle i kind of like that though or, or like yeah like a pigeon uh via via uh, pigeon, pigeon they would cook yeah. the pigeon. i only i only send people text messages via my pigeon yeah. I kind of like that with the whole texting and driving. I was thinking when you were driving up here, it's like, you know, it'd Are be you old... saying I was texting and driving up here? No, but wow, every once in a while you'll busted. look at your phone. You'll look at your phone. I was like, well, why don't you just take it old school and just put a book on your lap? Yeah. Like, and that, I think that drives home the danger of it uh, a little bit more. Do you feel because you're ultra creative, uh, and this is sort of therapy for me asking you this, is do you feel pressure to have to be creative? You know, it's funny, Alex Talbot, Ideas and Food, you know, Alex, we all grew up looking at his blog, which is one of my favorites still to this day. He sent me this uh, picture of like building blocks and it was an ABC building block one day and it just like the kids blocks and it said, always be creative. And that was the, and it doesn't necessarily mean be creative for creative sake. It just means to challenge your brain to think a little bit outside the box. Um, You know, even with a, a grilled cheese sandwich, for instance, you know, the fact that like I use mayonnaise on the outside of the bread instead of butter and I... I didn't create that, but to me, it's a creative solution to pulling out the butter, letting it temper, and then having to – or spread it on the bread until you poke a hole all the way through the bread because the butter's so cold, but you're so frustrated and you don't have time because you're such a busy person to spread butter. Take the mayonnaise out, spreads right on, put it in the pan, crispy grilled cheese sandwiches every single time. It's like you were at our house this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst part with the cold butter and then you it break is, the bread. Uh, is, the mayonnaise is a great – so you think a lot of times it's just a solution to a problem. I think – yeah, it's – Absolutely. Creativity to me is, 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 you know, from an artist's perspective, definitely trying to do something a bit differently, but also, like you said, Chef, putting a, a solution to a problem or providing another convenience or the way to, to do something faster or better or easier. And I love how you mentioned ideas and food because you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's still something that I'll turn to. It's a, it's a great website. They're ultra creative thinkers, but I really have loved watching their evolution 
right? I feel like it's now it's a lot more baking, and the the food is just as scientific, but it seems simpler and more perhaps more enjoyable to the average person. And I think that's a, such a good point. It's like they're still using air quotes. You guys can't see that molecular <laughs> gastronomy, right? But that is baking. That is pastry. That is making pasta. You know, Alex is very good at determining what hydration levels are the best for making the perfect pasta dough and things like that. And so there's no difference to me in that versus making a spherified olive with Jose and Ferran and all those guys. I think it's the same thing. Um, it just we throw labels on things. So do you feel I mean, the opposite side of that would be do you feel like you have to sneak your creativity in? Like if people are wanting a little bit more comfort food and things like that, do you not talk about the creativity that you're using? Yeah, we definitely don't do that. And the servers, like as good as they are at the restaurants, they try and remember every single thing that's in every single dish. And I say to them, you know, I love the fact that you guys are so interested, but when you're describing a dish at the table, you don't have to tell them every single time and temperature and technique that goes into the right. dish because in some cases, leave, you know, leave a little bit of mystery. To me, it's like a magician being like, okay, guys, all right, you like that trick? Let me show you exactly how I did it. And then they like <laughs> right. sit there yeah, and like, yeah, look, yeah. see the string hanging down from the ceiling? That's why it was floating. And that was something that I had to overcome uh, personally where like I would write a menu item you know, 10 years ago and it would be like lamb cooked in a plastic bag yeah. for 72 hours under vacuum. Yeah. And then I realized that's a little too much, right? It comes off as pretentious a bit. And then people yeah. started underwriting their menus. So it would say lamb, peas, yogurt. Right. And people are like, cool. Then some people are just expecting a piece of lamb with a pile of peas and a dollop of yogurt. Right. And all of a sudden you get this you know, pea coolie and this lamb, this yogurt foam and this perfectly cooks. And they're like, huh. And either they have a good reaction to it or they have a bad reaction to it. But I think there's an element of surprise there that you know, authoring menus is a good example of, of the opportunity to still surprise your guests when they come in. A lot of times they do the research. They look at the menu. They come in the restaurant and you can't surprise them until they eat the food. Right. That's, I, I didn't know we were going to get into sort of the writing workshop part of this. But you're right. Yeah, how, have you, how have you evolved as a writer when you're writing menus? You know what's funny is I try and I'm not as good at it as I'll bring up Jose Andres again because he's always very good at like adding little things like shrimp cocktail. Yeah, right. So it's like you read it and you're like, okay, there's going to be a little bit more to it. But that reaction that you guys just had, that's the fun about what we do. You know, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. And so if you can find opportunities to throw little surprises like that, like today we we're putting a cucumber dish on the menu tonight and it's caramelized buttermilk curds and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of it, it says dill pickle flavor. Well, what's a dill pickle flavor? We're putting dill oil and vinegar in the dish. Right. But when people read that, they're going to say, hmm, dill pickle flavor. What is that? Well, it's vinegar and dill right. and salt. And cucumbers, and it's also oh, cool. That, I like that. And yeah, it's also the thing that probably gets some people to order the dish. Right? Exactly. Like the the chefs wanted to write like you know, and the whey is turned into a dressing and blah. blah. I'm like, most people don't know what whey is. Right. Like they don't care. And if you're talking about whey or weighing and weight with food, they won't order it because they think it's going to make them heavier. You know. So it's like you have to get you have to get creative with it. So when you're doing uh, lineup in your restaurants, are you talking to your staff about how they should you know? Discuss, educate the guests without seemingly educate them? We have to educate them because of the food allergies and the stuff like that. Like right. as chefs and as restaurant operators, you know, there's we're, – we're like we're, – we're therapists. We're doctors. We have to know every food allergy. Like we can kill people in our restaurants. People don't actually realize that but that's pretty yeah, intimidating. It's a so, yeah. so we try and talk them through every single thing. It's – it's what they articulate to the guests that we then have to retrain on. So we want them to take in the information and retain that. But at the same time, that's more for an awareness and an education so that they can answer the appropriate 
have the appropriate answers to the questions. But we want them to describe the dish so there's still some element of surprise. Here's your beef with mashed potatoes and carrots, but it's something different. Where's your uh, what's your take on the no substitutions, no changes? Uh, that's like saying no hospitality to me. Ooh, um, I love that. Love that answer. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if we don't let people cut and paste, but if you can't have something on a dish and we can still make it for you, then we do our best to do that. But you can't say like I want to take this from the beef dish and put it on the bass dish. If you want to have it without garlic then we'll do our best to do that because at the end of the day we're still in the hospitality industry one of my favorite stories is uh, a long time ago you might have even been working in this restaurant jasmine where the server sends in the you know sea server they want the salmon with just broccoli and like no broccoli is in the restaurant it's like ah, what, what that's you know like we can probably service. do it if we if there's a store across the street but you can't just assume that we can do anything but as people in the hospitality industry we'll do as as much as we can to make people happy right? absolutely and I, for me, I feel like that's the whole goal. Like, why, why are you doing this insane business? Michael Voltage, like, why, what's in it for, like, what do you get from, like, cooking every day, every night? You know, to be honest, I still like the comments from the – I still like the comments from the guests. Like, I still like to he- hear people say, wow, we've not eaten like this before. I had no idea that could happen. Or what my favorite one is, is and I don't get it still, but they say it. We came in here not wanting to have a great experience, but you turned us around. I want to be like, why did you come in here in the first place then? Like you came in here to complain. So I like that. So you think now that is because you're super creative, right? So people think they're coming in for an art show and they don't expect dinner. And when they get an art show and dinner – or they expect like me being a, like I'm a robot or something or like I don't care about why they're and, – and that's not true. Like I grew up working – like my first jobs in kitchens were for like – like I said, the Greenbrier, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. Like I learned hospitality before yeah. I learned how to cook. Right. And then I mixed those two together and I found that that discipline of hospitality was equally as important as the discipline of cooking. So that's interesting. Listen, so the Greenbrier, this is also a world-renowned uh, facility. I mean, you're making like it's uh, the corner diner. I mean, it's a pretty amazing place where a lot of chefs go to earn their stripes. Yeah. Um, what made you go from maybe a, a more classical American sort of uh, genre of food to, to where you're at now? I saw a French chef cooking. I was working at a Ritz-Carlton actually and the chef – in the kitchen next to me was doing the French – it was called the dining room back in the day. There was a grill room and a dining room. I was right. the chef of the steakhouse and then the French dining room. And I saw his food and I remember looking at the plates and not being able to identify every ingredient on the plate but thinking to myself, wow, that looks really beautiful. I want to I make that. Like I want to make stuff that looks like that. But then I tasted it and I had the same reaction and I'm like, holy crap. Like not only does it look amazing but you can make it taste different and, and it, it just – it did something to me that – I wanted to be able to do for other people and for other chefs. To just continually – just to make them happy. I mean you're just – Surprising. To, to just right. to, surpri- to surprise. You know, who doesn't want to be surprised? Even people that are like, I don't want a surprise party. Secretly, they're like, I hope they throw me a surprise party. <laughs> this is true. This is true, which by the way, um, for next year, I think. Okay. Can we um, do a surprise? Right, that's yeah, a surprise party. Um, hey, listen, everyone. The truth is most of us are brushing our teeth all wrong, not for long enough, and we forget to change our brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than – Uh, Better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? For starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes like Jasmine's. You should see how bulky Jasmine's brush is. 
<laughs> while still I don't packing have a quip yet. just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the uh, dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Next, Quip's subscription plans are for your health. Just like I've been doing 100 push-ups a day, Quip is also for your health. Not just for your convenience, they deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel uh, wherever you take your teeth. And finally, everyone loves Quip. They were on Oprah's O-List, named one of Time's best inventions, and it's the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. That's right, the ADA. Plus, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash starving right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash starving. That's G-E-T Q-U-I-P dot com slash starving. Back to the show. Okay, listen, if you like our show, Starving for Attention with Richard and Jasmine Blaze, you're going to love the first degree with Jack Vanek and Alexis Linkletter. The host of Lady Gang teams up with her best friend, true crime TV producer, to explore stories of the craziest crimes, cults, and conspiracies. Imaginable with renowned crime journalist Billy Jensen and talk to the once- Ordinary people who were one degree away from those stories. And who knows? You may even wind up being their next guest. Check out First Degree every Wednesday only on Podcast One. Does that mean you committed a crime if you end up being one of their guests? Now back to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. You strike me as the chef, the type of chef... Who, who probably would be like, you know, it's not for me. I don't want to go on. I don't want to go compete. That's not what it's about. I'm about, you know, doing my, my food here in my restaurant. What, what made you go on Top Chef? I wanted to do something in cooking. Like I wanted to bridge that gap between chefs and chefs that play chefs on TV. And I think like when you were involved in it, there's a handful of guys, I think, and girls that were, Stephanie, involved in that show and in shows like that show that I think brought some chef credibility to that type of competition show. And I think guys like you, myself and my brother, and I mean, I don't want to name the whole list of people, Kristen, I thought that's about it. Yeah, (laughs) really, (laughs) Stephanie, um, brought a, a, a sense of, of, of there were chefs that were competing as opposed to people that wanted to be on television. And I think that if you approach that exercise as a cooking competition, then you're there for the right reasons. And I wanted to compete. Like I wanted to be in a cooking competition. So where did that come from? The sports or where did the competitive drive come from? Yeah, I mean, I played sports growing up, but at the same time, I think that I always in my head wanted to also, this is the other side of it, and I just, I'm going to contradict myself in the same sentence. I wanted to do something that reached a lot of people. I wanted to entertain somehow. And I loved creative writing when I was a kid. I used to write poems and stories and the weird random stuff. And then, I don't know, I found like, I think that the fact that chefs have a bigger platform to do more gets us from the back of the house into the front of the house. Like we were the guys that they hid behind the wall and we were the weirdos that no one ever knew anything about. And then they wanted us to come stand tableside and talk to people. And all of a sudden it was like, no one could do that. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah, hurry up and get away from my table. You're making me feel awkward. And now it's like, come speak to the entire world on our TVs. And it's like chefs that can do that and get a chance to get out there and use that 
platform, I think it's a huge opportunity. So right off the bat, when you got the ask or, or they asked you to do it, you, you, you knew you were going to do it right, right away? I well, Marcel was my sous chef at Bazaar. That's right. That's right. And I was kind of like, you know, like busting his balls a little bit about it in service. And I'm like, you know, blah blah blah, and make you're not making fun of it, but just sort of questioning the process. And he's like, well, if you think it's so easy or whatever, why don't you go do it? And I'm like, I will, and I'm gonna win. <laughs> and like, that was it. But then the whole thing spiraled into like the beer nominations, and my brother and I had both gotten nominated for the same category in the same year. So then they call and they're like, hey, you got a brother, right? Like, oh, so was the casting? Do you think it went that way? Where it was, uh, like, did they ask you or Brian first, or it was a package deal the whole time? Or how does that? No, they. So I I got onto the show, uh, or they were interested in me, but during that process, inquired about my brother. And all I did was give his contact information. And then we never spoke about it like together about it after that. Like they did their thing and we showed up. It's not like, oh, I didn't know my brother was going to be there. But when I got – you know, it was like they casted him separately of me. They casted me separately of him and together we just ended up in the same cooking competition. Now, um, you know your brother's food of course, right? Uh, So going into it, did you know? Like this was (laughs) – did you see sort of the casting behind it like it's brother versus brother the whole way here? Sort of, yeah. But then when I arrived and I saw like Kevin Gillespie and Jen and like there was other – there were like – Mike Isabel. There was other serious chefs there. Yeah. I mean, so I'm like, I honestly, I'm like, shit, this is, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever you want. I, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be harder than I thought. You know, at the, at first I just kind of wanted to come and show off and like cook and win a competition. And now it's like, oh crap, this is really going to be a competition. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, even with my slight personal bias, it's hard to say that your season of Top Chef wasn't the deepest deep, talent yeah. pool yeah. in all of the seasons. Uh, and not, like you said, not just because of you and your brother, but because of uh, Well, Jan I think every – like your season, there was probably two or three people right. that, that were good. I think we, we probably had a half a dozen that were like serious competitors. Truly. Yeah. I mean some yeah. of the people who didn't even probably get you know Place. more than yeah. halfway. That for, yeah. I think there were a, a bunch of really talented chefs. For sure. Yeah. And that, that's a part of it that like – I was like, oh man! Like I thought I was going to be competing with myself. I didn't think I was going to be there to compete with all these other people too. Right now, um, you know, again, I, knowing the Top Chef world quite well, I know that it's a show with incredible integrity. But did you ever feel like it was sort of trying to set it up as the the good brother versus the bad brother? Or, or, or yeah, I mean, or, of course, or, you know, anytime you leave it in the faith of post production, right, right. editing, or whatever, you never, you know, it's like I like to tell the story. Like if I say that I don't like dogs that bark. Right. They can cut it at dogs. So now all of a sudden you're the guy that doesn't like dogs. I don't like dogs. And you're like, wait a second, I said dogs that bark. And it's like, and they're so good at building that story. Um, Like I tell people all the time, it's like my brother was actually the mean one when we were there. They just decided (laughs) that I was going to be the guy. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, until you told us that you were sort of afraid of spiders. I mean, you 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 have the look where you could be like, you know, the dark side. Oh, dude, I'm I'm terrified of spiders. Like, <laughs> and and like I'm the one like in the house in the dark. Like it's like, what was that noise? Go check it out. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna stay here and protect the bedroom. Yeah. Um, now it ends up going down. It, it uh, obviously went all the way down to you and your brother, yeah. and that's got to be. There's got to be some like emotions that go into that outside of the fact that I know the emotions of just being up there winning or losing. I think we wanted it. We wanted it to be that. We right. didn't know that it was going to be that and we weren't prepared for it I think when it happened and I think the the you know the thing I'll say is that I do believe that he's a better technician than I am. Um 
So I think together we would have made a really good competitor. Oh, sure. But, <laughs> because he's really, really good at everything. And I have a tendency to be a little bit more creative, but probably a little less uh, – I don't want to say precise as he is, but Brian Brian is just a good technician. Yeah, it would be unfair if the Voltaggio brothers combined to be one robot. Like that would be like a little totally. unfair. That's like, like a transform. That's yeah. like a yeah horrible transformer yeah. for other competitors. <laughs> for other competitors. Um, so I have the question li- listed here just as the brother thing. I mean, is it, are there what are the pros and cons of the fact that you have this amazingly talented brother? You guys get you know. So I have the question li- listed here just as the brother thing. I mean, is it, are there what are the pros and cons of the fact that you have this amazingly talented brother? You guys get you know linked together a lot, but you're also separate people, and and your food's a little different. I'll start with the con. The con at first was this competitive thing that we had with each other up until a certain point, and so he did. There was this jealousy. If he won something, I was jealous. If I won something, he was jealous, and there was it was almost this like secret desire for the other one to fail Mm -hmm. and then we got over that and became grown-ups and said why don't we start working together and so now it's like who gets to have a brother a best friend a mentor who does the exact same thing that they do and so now we're joining forces and we're building restaurants together and we're trying to do more together so we can share infrastructure share ideas and support each other instead of hope for like I hope his restaurant burns down today. <laughs> right. Um, you know what? And, and I will say this just as a fan, like you can see that now. So like we just did uh, Bottle Rock together. I didn't get a chance to stay for your show, but I saw like the highlights. And it's you and your brother like hopping around like Beastie Boy style yeah. with House of Pain on stage. Jumping around in a barrel of, in grapes, a barrel of grapes to right. jump around. Right. Which is really fun. And like so obviously you guys have sort of embraced you know, the angle if Getting my brother out there was probably That's one of my biggest accomplishments okay. ever. Yeah, right. But then watching him do it and seeing how much <laughs> fun he had, right. I'm like, yes. But Everlast was the hardest one to convince. He's like, I'm not really feeling that. And right all the way up until right before we went on stage, I right. remember saying to him, understand, I'm such a huge fan of yours. Like, I promise this is going to be cool. And then we got out there and it was like, bah, 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 bah. and then Brian and I are stomping grapes to jump around. That was a crazy show. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, it was and you're in a giant stock pot, ever. right? Or something like that. They were in wine barrels. Yeah. yeah. They were wine barrels oh, full of right. grapes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so like you had mentioned, okay, it was, it was a little bit more difficult to get Brian out there. So now you though, I mean, you, you sort of, again, serious chef. How have you evolved to become more of a performer than just a chef? Because that's part of it. You know, I would say the same thing to you, honestly. Yeah. And I studied guys like you and, and other people that transitioned from being the introverted sort of artist to mm-hmm. to recognizing that it's it's learning another skill set. So to me, it's not unlike cooking. I wasn't good at television. And to be honest, chef, I didn't. you weren't great at it either no, in the beginning. Yeah, and so I feel like for guys like us, it's the need to be good at whatever we're doing. Mm. And so when I wasn't good at it and everyone was saying like, oh, you're, you know, you're too serious or you're too this, you're, I'm like, I'm really not. And right. so when I, when I saw how bad at it that I actually was, I was determined to want to be good at it from like a skill set point of view. It comes back to the competitive thing. You're exactly – this is really like therapy right now for yeah. me because <laughs> you are – you realize – I remember being the chef who would go out to lineup and would tell my – and this was years and years ago when it was like Emerald Live. and be like, you know, these guys with their names on their jackets and their shows and they go bam and they yeah. throw down. They're not real chefs. And then like it's funny now because that's how people feel about me. Um, 
But it's hard to do that, to perform like an Emerald or even a Rachel Ray. I feel all of these people who sometimes get a little shit, right, for being great performers. Um, that's a skill set. Because I feel like the people that knew that – because you're now introduced to a lot of people really fast. Mm. So then that's immediately what they know you as. But they didn't know you before that. And that's the part that I want to challenge the people that say – like if you th- – uh, Emerald's a good example. He wasn't really good at TV when he first started out. Right. And then he just stayed at it, stayed at it, stayed at it. And then all of a sudden he got good at it. And now he's great at it. But um, yeah, I, you're right, Chef. I think it's just a matter of, of the, the determination of wanting to do something better. But also look at all the opportunities that we're given. And I'm not just talking about like the money that we can make or the projects we get to do or the famous people we get to hang out with or whatever. I'm talking about like look at all the good we do for charities and stuff like that right you don't like people show up to these events because guys and girls like us that have done these things in entertainment are going to be there and then they buy these high price tickets to come and see us and then all of a sudden that money and all that work and all that stuff is doing good like it's doing real it's doing really good stuff for people yeah it's powerful um so doing good for people speaking of that now you're on sort of the other side where you're you're a mentor you're a teacher and you're, you might be the only – you won Top Chef like we said. But then you also – one of your old sous chefs then came on Top Chef and won. May, three, May three, of yeah. three of them. Three of them. Yeah, so, Hung, Hung, Kevin Spraga, and May. Right. OK. Wow. So – oh, wow. So this is even a deeper question yeah, than so I when thought. When you talk about family trees, like so, a chef family like tree. Like you actually have your own family tree. Like you're the top of the – like you're the roots of the tree. Um, what yes, is the that, that that's a lot of well, no, that's if, a lot if, of you, if you cut off his tree, I mean, because he mentioned Jose Andres. Well, of like, course, if you cut off his tree, you started a new underground. Tree. Yes. They might be the truffles of that tree, <laughs> but as it's sprouting, so you've you've spawned three Top Chef winners. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it's weird. It, it's are you? I mean, you 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 know, most people would say you're the you know the best Top Chef oh, winner that's ever I been wanna, in the I game. I want to go back because I didn't even know. Huh? Most people say that about you too, and most uh, people say yeah, that the two of us. That's why it's never happened because we're never going to give the people what the people want. Oh. Okay, so we got to go right. We got to go before we get into the family yeah, yeah. tree. So then that's the uh, we might as well just get it, chop it up on the table right now. Will there ever be a Top Chef Champions League where it's a season of only people who have won? And in all fairness, I'm getting goosebumps because that's my competitive drive saying that. What do you think? What could it happen? I think it, the, I'm sure that there's people that want it to happen, and I'm sure the discussions happen. It's just, I mean, that's a really busy group of people too, and right. you take them yeah. away from all the stuff they're doing right now to force that. That's it might true. have to be like a hybrid situation, but I think it could be cool for sure. It could be cool, but it would like a lot of people. Like I've lost already, so like my ego is like I'm I'm used to it being bruised. But for a lot of people, it would be tough because again, I mean, yeah. first time uh, everyone's a champion until the end of that season, right? <laughs> Well, and as soon as you go into something like that, then you're you're not a, a winner anymore, right? If you, I, if you well, win, no, I I feel it. like it's different because again, I'm a different perspective because I won and lost, but it's like a championship in a sport. Once you win, you're always yeah. a Super Bowl champion for sure. And I think as long as, but again, there's egos involved, and there's, I mean, right. our feelings going to be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could win. I don't know. I'd be. You'd be the favorite. You could, dude. Vegas no would have you at like. <laughs> I mean, two one. Like you'd be the top. You'd be the absolute favorite. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, and I say that with my ego, like sp- pouring out of my mouth right now. I would say the same for you. So. Uh, well, you're you're just being you're, you're being kind. But then you'd have to go up against these chefs that you trained, Hung, Kevin, and Mei Lin, and what you would just. I mean, that would be a little. That would be a nice little side story if that season ever happened. 
Yeah, and I th- I don't know. I think it's more fun to talk about it than actually go through it. I think you're right. <laughs> I think, you're right. <laughs> I think it's better. It sort of goes back to like the baseballs. Like, what if Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth? <laughs> That's the same yeah, it's like getting all the old people together. It's yeah. like we could just spar a little. That'd yeah. be okay. I don't want to get hurt though. A charity fight. <laughs> yeah, um, a, a wrestling match, uh, perhaps. Hey, here's some uh, useful car tips you might not be aware of. A, uh, a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Uh, B, removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And C, uh, if you place your key fob to your chin, you will increase its range. That's weird, right? Uh, Well, here's another tip you might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million users, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with a TrueCar certified dealer. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Um, so family tree, though. So do you feel like that's a responsibility now that like when someone comes to work with you, do they – I guess what I'm saying, do people have aspirations like, hey, I want to work for you. I want to win Top Chef. Some I want to yeah, get I a mean, beer to work. Some of them do. Uh, most of them – Most. I mean mo- all the people in the kitchen with us want to be in the kitchen and have a career in the kitchen. Sure. And so we don't we don't have a lot of career cooks. In fact, we don't have really any. Um, most of them are people that want to be chefs. And so we're, we're very fortunate. The problem with that is – you can't open up opportunities for them fast enough. And so if you don't have another restaurant on the horizon, you're training them for somebody else. Right. So what, speaking about um, restaurants on the horizon, what do you have upcoming? Brian and I have a huge restaurant, huge I say, because it's 11,000 square feet, give or take, in Miami, uh, opening in November. Oh, called, we were going to ask about called that. Called Monger. Yeah. Monger, right? Yeah. yeah. That, um, that is a cool project because we're building a kitchen basically for every station. So the vegetable kitchen will have stuff for cooking and making. Like There'll be a cold-pressed juicer in the vegetable kitchen. Right. The meat station has wood-burning grill. The There's a... There's a wood-burning oven that we've yet to determine exactly what's going to be used. The word pizza has been thrown out, but we're not really pizza chefs, so I'm sure it'll become more of like a breads and spreads type thing. But right. So every station is being designed for the ingredient that will come out of it. And so when you order from the menu, order that way too. Are they separate, the kitchen separated physically in the space? They're separated but joined and then they meet at a pass in the middle that has a hallway. And so that's also the same hallway that the guests enter the restaurant through. Mm. So they walk through and see all of this craziness going on. And so it's you, – you order your food like you shop in a grocery store. Like I'll have the sweet potatoes with the, with the short rib. But they're going to come out you know, that sort of small plate kind of thing but – not small plates, just food that hits the middle of the table and you eat it like you're sitting around eating with your family. You know, mm-hmm. and Brian and I are family and so when we go out to eat as chefs, we order ten different dishes and we all pass them around the table and share them. We still want to create that same sort of thing. I'm wondering this. if like I'm lo- I'm thinking about what that contract looks like for you and your brother. <laughs> so is it one of those things where you could just like one of us will be here two days uh, a quarter or whatever it is? <laughs> that is the good part of it is these <laughs> right? these deals that we do we we get to split the the duties and so that's always that's good. Nice, yeah, yeah, back to the brother thing. I think that to me is the most like appealing thing like when i saw your your name on the on the set list for like bottle rock and it's like the voltaggio brother like it's just it just sounds... i wish he was a manager though it'd be a lot better if he was like <laughs> because we're still not good at like keeping that role filled you know it's right. like we need i think every like if you look at like will and uh daniel from 11 madison yeah. nomad and all that they're like no one can mess with those dudes like those guys it's like the best front of the house guy and the best back of the house guy tackling right. the industry right now and it's yeah. like we're still looking for like that so is it because of the con- like the contrast of their positions? One's in the front of the house, one's in the back of the house. 
it's like you have a chef in the front and a chef in the back, a partner in the front, a partner in the back. Right. And I think it's it, you know that's the one thing that we're probably not missing, but trying to foster with the people that we have now and identify exactly. Has, who that has anyone tried be. to like create that? Like, have you ever had a manager? Because I'm thinking like there's a certain like boy band element of it. It's like, well, yeah. you know, it'd be great if one of you did really simple, simple rustic food, and then you do modern food, and then you shave your head, you have long hair. Like, right. has anyone there, tried like, to manipulate to the brand? I think it allows us to cover more ground and that's what it does for instance like volt right now brian's flagship right two of my old chefs from inc are there working for brian so and vice versa so now we share a lot of staff and send them back and forth to each other and that we found that to be beneficial because there's certain things that happens in brian's kitchen that i want to learn but i'm not going to go like stodge at brian's restaurant <laughs> right. so if i can hire one of his guys they can come and learn what i'm doing and then send, send him one of mine and they can he can learn sort of what we're doing we're sharing everything and to me that's the number one thing i think that's cool about the industry now is that like people stopped keeping recipes as secrets like we're all sharing everything and i think that's awesome because it's just getting better and better and better and by the way if you don't give them the recipe they're gonna go find it on the internet somewhere eventually anyway well now right like i I even remember because i'm old but like actually working at the french laundry before there was a french laundry cookbook and like that moleskin was coveted yeah and then like the book comes out a year later and you're like oh man why did i i (laughs) I have old thumb drives of photographs of people's notebooks from other restaurants that's That's how like that's how we all (laughs) yeah we used to trade recipes we're like oh you work at this restaurant cool i'll trade you a couple french laundry recipes for a couple charlie trotter recipes i'll meet you on the quarter of 49th it was like that though yeah um Listen, uh, here's something that we, we like to have. Uh, well, no, actually, I was just reala- I was realizing this. If you have trouble with just one brother, you could throw me into the mix because I think I've shared this with you and Brian before. Every once in a while, I'll be at an event and because we live in the same world, whatever, yeah. the, the average Top Chef fan will be like, oh, what's your brother up to? I don't have a brother. So like I know that like – We got to get you some tattoos. I, I'm, like, and I, I'm like the third brother sometimes and I think like we could work that. Like almost like the Wal- Wahlbergs, right? Yeah, Where it's like, like you guys are the two brother. famous ones, and I'm like the guy running the burger spot. But like, <laughs> yes. we could kind of, we should come up with some sort of parody. Where it's well, like, Brian and I, we could be like Casey and Ben Affleck, and you could be Matt Damon. Oh, okay. Well, I think we could do that. Right, we where, where they, the people just yeah. even might just think we're related. They just assume we work together yeah. a lot. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that would work, though. I think we. <laughs> I'd have to figure out like what my angle is, though. I don't know yeah. if I'm cool enough to be to be uh, to be honest. <laughs> um, Michael, listen. Uh, what, one, we want you to come back first of all, for sure. And I think we're going to ask Brian to come back, and then. We should do one with both of you. Yeah, he's going to be here next week, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Well, maybe we can For set something For you stalkers up. out there. Yeah. For you stalkers, Brian Voltaggio is going to be in the Los, Los Angeles, Angeles area. Uh, follow his in Twitter. In Laurel Canyon. Um, he's, he keeps his GPS on for all of those looking to find him. Uh, we like to play a couple little games near the end of the pod, uh, and this one is uh, special for you uh, and your brother, Brian. Uh, this game is called... Voltaggio Bros versus. Okay. <laughs> we actually pitched this already, so this is just this is, this is also, yeah, it's, it's a surprise to me. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's let, an idea, ready. right? No, you have no idea that this happened, but we have polled uh, some of our avid fans and listeners, and uh, we've created these challenges, these um, sort of surreal challenges that might happen between you and your brother versus other famous brothers. And I want you to let us know if you think you guys would win the specific challenge. So the first challenge is the Voltaggio brothers versus the Property brothers. 
They have a show on HGTV. They, they remodel houses. And the challenge is remodeling a kitchen. Who would win the challenge? Voltaggio Brothers versus Property Brothers. Oh, man. Brian's remodeling his own kitchen himself oh. right now. Uh, I designed mine. So you know, Property Brothers. We'd have a good, I think, collaboration, though. We'd design it and they'd build it. Um, our viewers said it would be a tie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. because so, they must know about I kind of said the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. They must know that he's um, – and then our viewers also suggested that it should go to a dance-off right. in, in the effect <laughs> of a tie. Yeah. And then, I, you know, they to would be win. honest, I've seen you <laughs> – they, they would win. They would win. I've seen you at the spasmatic show in uh, Aspen. That's uh, just you, me being free. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but we'll, we'll leave it at a tie. Uh, next one. This one's going to require a little bit of backstory. Um, it's the Voltaggio Brothers versus – the Potash Twins. Ooh. Now, the Potash Twins are jazz musicians who roll in the Andrew Zimmerman clique, yeah. Yeah. like a hip-hop group. Squad. They just yeah. roll with Andrew Zimmerman. Uh, so they're like classical jazz musicians. They're awesome kids. They're young. But listen, the competition is Voltaggio Brothers versus Potash Twins in backyard wrestling. Ooh. Ooh, backyard you wrestling. Know, I just spent some time with those guys in Aspen. Cool guys. Brian and I would take them. Yeah. Uh, I think you got them on reach. Uh, listen, like, you got them on reach, perhaps. Everyone agrees. Yeah. yeah, everyone agrees. Although that's one I actually kind of want to set up. I would yeah. rather Brian and I have one each on our shoulders yes. and have like the chicken, chicken fight, fight thing going on. Oh, geez, oh ooh. Like yeah, a mashup. Oh, I'll like, take one, he takes the other. I kind of like that. And so you're on top of Brian's shoulders then? No, no, no. 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 We'll, we'll, take, split. we'll split the Potash twins. Split them up. And the, so, okay. Wow. So you got the Potash totally brothers right. on your shoulders. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to put that in the treatment. I think yeah, – and, and we do that one in a pool in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. We can sell tickets to that. All right. Next one. This one's tough. Voltaggio brothers. Versus Luke and Owen Wilson in improv, in Ooh. improv on stage. Ooh, I got to <laughs> give that one to the Wilson brothers. This one is going to the Wilson brothers. Yeah. Uh, and one of our viewers said only because they saw Brian's acting in the Thanksgiving special. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but they think that's the only reason why Luke and Owen will win the improv battle. Uh, okay, next one. This is one of my personal favorites because I'm a big sports guy. Voltaggio brothers versus the Manning brothers mm. in the challenge of overall success. Oh, Manning brothers. Oh, my brothers gosh. For sure. Oh, dude. Okay, so you're saying I don't Manning think anyone brothers. can even touch those guys right now. Listen, I Haven't mean- Haven't they both won the Super Bowl? That's true. That's true. Uh, Peyton Manning <laughs> is heading to the Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. Um, our viewers, though, they said the Voltaggio brothers are winning this one. They're not sports fans they're at they're all. They're not sports fans, perhaps, <laughs> here on Starving for uh, Attention. Uh, they're saying Eli is bringing down the, the, the ratings on the Manning mm. brothers' side. Uh, so Voltaggio brothers win in champions. And this is the last one, uh, the finale. Uh, Voltaggio bros versus- the Voltaggio brothers I like this versus the Bayless brothers, Skip and Rick Bayless, who if people don't know, Skip Bayless is a sports commentator. Rick Bayless, one of the best chefs in America, cooks Mexican food. And the challenge is the amazing race. Oh, Brian and I have that one. Yeah. The amazing race. So yeah. Michael's pretty confident. He thinks yeah. he's got this one. And you're right, Michael. Yes. <laughs> Our viewers say that the Voltaggio brothers have beat the Bayless brothers because of irreconcilable differences between the Bayless brothers. Yeah, they just don't, don't even finish. Uh, who I, who had, they could the not DNF, get out of yeah. the airport in Mexico City <laughs> on the first round. Uh, thanks for being a sport, dude. My pleasure. Uh, last thing we like to do here on Starving for Attention is a game we call... It's 86. Uh, like in the kitchen, 86 means we're out of something, we're over it, we're done with it. What are one or a few things that you're, you want to 86 in your world? The term food trends. Ooh, I'm, I'm glad ready it, for that to go away. I think so, because of? Things like you said, molecular gastronomy earlier, you know, let's stop talking about that. Or, or like, for instance, things that disappear off of menus because everyone starts to use it. 
Uh, I use the pork belly as an example of this. Uh, what's there's nothing wrong with pork belly, but at some point it was like, oh yeah, everyone's making pork be- kale. Like <laughs> kale is like so good for you, right? But because kale became overused and a quote food trend. People are now afraid to put kale on their menu. So now the food that we actually – the most popular stuff goes away because of food trends. I love that answer. Yeah. Right. If you like it and it's delicious, keep it on the menu. Everyone Don't, should have a kale Caesar salad on their menu. I agree. I'm going to go totally tell my partners agree. that because it's we, something we fight about actually. Can we actually. Talk check that? Um, we can. I, I think so. I love, um, I love that. Food trends. Taking something off the menu. Just because you saw a pork belly on the Marriott menu in Kansas City doesn't mean you should take it off. <laughs> doesn't make it bad. Your cool, hip restaurant menu in Los Angeles or New York. Michael Voltaggio, you are awesome, dude. I'm a big fan. Uh, thanks for listening to Starving for Attention. Thanks for listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode from The Freezer with Michael Voltaggio and Jasmine Blaze. Thank you so much for listening. And to our sponsors who make this all possible, Hyundai, go to Hyundai.com slash Shopper Assurance uh, for more information about Quip. Get your first refill pack free Go to getquip.com slash starving. And for TrueCar, visit TrueCar for a better car buying experience.